Let's Go Tokyo with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings. Hello and welcome to Let's Go Tokyo. Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings with you. The Olympic Games have officially finished and what a journey it's been. We have two very special guests to speak to today. But before we do, what did you make of the closing ceremony, Skeet? Yes, g'day Ben. Should be called Let's Go Home Tokyo because (laughs) we've got through the two weeks. It's been an amazing journey and the closing ceremony last night. We always knew it was going to be different, less athletes, no crowd, uh, all of the above. But I think what we saw from goats away from the Japanese was a, a commitment to uh, technological know-how and a touch of class at the end. And I was really impressed by the way they have transitioned to what they have done over the past two weeks to what will come in three years in Paris. And uh, even talking in the, the newsroom a few minutes ago with colleagues, it was about how do we get to France in 2024? Yeah, well, the excitement is already through the roof for Paris. Just the idea of an Olympic Games in such a wonderful city, one of the world's greatest cities, and they pumped it up last night at the closing ceremony. Uh, and It doesn't get much bigger than having a French astronaut uh, in the International Space Station playing the French national anthem on his saxophone as the ISS orbited above Japan. Like, that is absolutely epic, and I think that's the word that's going to describe the Paris Olympics. Absolutely. Uh, let's hope that the Paris Olympics... Uh, far different from what we saw in Tokyo with regards to the restrictions and uh, all of those uh, uh, problems that I guess beset the games leading into the two weeks. Uh, the Japanese, as we said, did a terrific job under the circumstances. But from the athletes for spectators, let's hope that that's the last, the one and only games that are conducted in that type of manner. Yeah, now let's talk about how Australia finished up. We had crept up as high as fourth on the medal tally, but we come out of the gates hard at the Olympics and then it kind of dies off a little bit towards the end. We ended up finishing sixth after sitting in fourth spot for most of the games. Great Britain and the Russian Olympic Committee had a late surge of medals and overtook us. They did indeed, but I suppose from an Australian perspective, we look back on some of our fondest memories from uh, the Olympics, and there are so many. I mean, where do you start? Peter Bowl, 800 metres, uh, just captured the hearts of Australians, finishing fourth, did such a great job, of course, learned his craft here in WA. He was outstanding. Uh, the Boomers, just terrific to win their first ever bronze medal. That was something to behold, and the performance of Paddy Mills at the weekend, just extraordinary, and uh, the emotion in Andrew Gaze's voice and the tears he shed after watching the Boomers do what he and so many other before him couldn't achieve. That was a medal at the Olympics. Um, You look at the likes of Jess Fox, just brilliant gold medal after all her heartache, all her so near yet so far moments at the Olympics. And then I suppose you go to the swimmers and you can't go past Emma McKeon, four gold, three bronze, her tally of seven medals equals the record for the most medals won by a woman at a single Olympics. And when it comes to individual showdowns, the Titmus, the Decky, double showdown, of course, the Australian getting up in dramatic circumstances. You could go on for a long time about what uh, the highlights were, but from an Australian perspective, they were just uh, just some in a nutshell. Yeah, just a sample of the many highlights for Australia. 17 gold medals is equaling our ever-best performance at the Olympics. But then there's also so many international um, incredible moments. Like for me, Suni Lee uh, winning the gymnastics uh, You know, after Simone Biles went down for America. Uh, she won uh, the gold for America and ended up, you know, the USA finishing top of the medal table, um, just managing to pip out China. And then the host nation, 
in Japan. Like we know they've been hit so bad with COVID and up to 5,000 new cases a day in Tokyo, which is just absolutely shocking. But they had so much to be proud of from these Olympics. Uh, and you, the 13-year-old skateboarder winning the first gold medal at a Games, uh, that was so special. So I think I think the Japanese people will be pretty stoked about how they finished up. You talk about the skateboarding. Seven of the 12 skateboard medalists were teenagers or younger. And then we go... To the other end of the spectrum, the oldest competitor, 66-year-old Mary Hanna of Australia in the dressage. She finished 40th in the individual, 13th in the team. Um, the contrast of these Olympics, the new sports, the skateboarding, the rock climbing, will they stay? And will netball be given a role, as uh, has been asked today by those in Australia, to, to give that a chance to... Uh, be part of the Olympics in 2032, which is a fair way away. But that's where we're looking already because the Olympics do those things. They get people excited about what might come to our country or what might be at the next Olympics. Yep, and I'll tell you what, one of my favourite moments was talking to sailing gold medalist Tessa Parkinson, uh, who was talking about this up-and-coming sailor named Matt Wern, who will be one to watch going forward. Uh, And then the next day, he won a gold. And we're lucky enough to be talking to him now. WA's Elite Athletes on the podium. Joining me now is Matt Wern. G'day, mate. Hey, how's it going? Great. Firstly, congratulations on your Olympic performance and gold medal. How does it feel to be able to call yourself a gold medalist? Yeah, thank you. Um, oh, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, it's still sort of sinking in in some sense. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, phenomenal to, to have that gold medal and, uh, yeah, to be able to call yourself a gold medalist. It's obviously such a, such a privilege and not many people get to experience that. So, yeah. Yeah, over, over the moon. Yeah, fantastic performance, Matt. Now, before we get into discussing uh, the event and how it all played out, a lot of the athletes have come back to Australia. They're at Howard Springs and quarantined for 14 days, hotels around the country doing it tough. Uh, where are you at the moment? Yeah, yeah, been been lucky enough that uh, well, my fiance is from, from Belgium. So, um, yeah, I jetted off straight to Europe after... Uh, after the games to, to try and avoid the quarantine for as long as possible. So, um, yeah, enjoying a, a bit more of a normal life over here. Yeah, can you get a, a Belgian frothy over there? Yeah, yeah there's, there's been a few already. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, there's no shortage of that, that's for sure. <laughs> I, he- I hear the poor athletes at Howard Springs can't get a beer at all. It's a dry, it's a dry quarantine facility. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is a bit tough. Now, let's, let's talk about uh, your success at the Olympics. Going into that last race, you were assured of the gold as long as you didn't fall out of the boat, pretty much. What was going through your head? Yeah, it's, um, it's, an ex- it's a strange experience. I mean, you, you spend your whole campaign fighting for yeah, every win and every medal for, like, at World Championships and things like that. And then to, to be at the pinnacle of the sport and uh, to have it sewn up before that medal race... Um, was it was a bit surreal it's sort of you, you kind of got to go out there and stay out the way of the others so that that first is a bit strange to your competitor inside you sort of trying to come out and fight but uh yeah i mean who who wouldn't want it that way you, you know it's um you know you're signed sealed and, and delivered and all you got to do is get around the track so uh it's much much less stressful than uh only having a couple point lead and, and having a fight for that that gold medal for sure so effectively a victory lap for you matt which as you mentioned uh, a bit like in a game of footy if you lead by 10 goals in the last quarter you know you're home it just did you reflect in that that period about what you'd been through and obviously starting sailing, I think, at five years of age, the journey you had been on, you had that time to perhaps even just look back on what this journey has ended up with. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I think, uh, yeah, especially the last sort of 
two or three days, uh, yeah, being being over here and just being able to stop and and think about it. Obviously, things were were pretty crazy in Japan post uh, post game or post yeah winning. So uh, yeah, it's been it's been nice to sit down and, and think about the whole journey and and who's helped me along the way and sort of what I've been through to to get to this point. And yeah, I think that's probably when it's really start to sink in. You sort of look over at the bookshelf and you, you see the gold medal sitting there, and you're like, wow, like yeah all that heartache all the blood sweat and tears is all worth it and uh yeah i've got the gold medal sitting on the bookshelf well funnily enough we spoke to a fellow gold medal winning sailor tessa parkinson earlier in the olympics and we asked her you know who she'll be watching in the sailing and she said you you were the one she even tipped you for a gold medal turned out to be the case how does it feel to be acknowledged by legends of the sport in australia yeah, I think that's that's probably what's what's hit me the most, especially in the last sort of yeah the week, um, yeah since since finishing the competition. That yeah, the the athletes that uh, have been there before and obviously yeah had success at the games that have messaged and yeah obviously congratulated, but also just sort of taking their hats off for the performance. That um, I guess personally, I didn't really didn't really think it was anything special at the time. Um, was just sort of going out and doing what I love doing and and yeah clearly it's sort of hit a lot of people and um it's motivated and inspired a lot of people as well to 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 come and do the same thing so yeah to have some some greats of the sport messaging is just yeah it's just amazing speaking with Matt Wern Olympic gold medalist in sailing in Tokyo on let's go Tokyo just tell us about what it was like in Japan uh, in terms of freedom or lack of was it tough to get used to the restrictions, although you knew what was coming your way, I suppose, when you jumped on the plane. Yeah, you, you did have a vague idea of what it was going to be like, but, yeah, I mean, probably thinking back to it, it was, it was a lot tougher than you, you you probably thought at the time just because you're, you're working so hard towards that goal. But, yeah, I mean, when you when you can only go between your your accommodation and the venue for three weeks, it starts to get a little bit old and yeah, you're so used to being able to just sort of go out the hotel or or the village and, and have a bit of a walk or something um, and you just weren't capable of doing that. So the, that, that freedom aspect was, was quite hard and, I mean, we're obviously all happy to do it to, to have the games happen, but, uh, yeah, sort of reflecting on it, the, it was a pretty tough three weeks and you sort of you come back and, yeah, now that I'm able to go do kind of whatever I want, that you really start to think about how much of an effect that had on you. And, uh, yeah, it certainly took away from the experience a little bit. But, yeah, like I said, that uh, to be able to just have the games happen, um, we're just, yeah, very grateful for that. And what was the food like in the Athletes' Village? Yeah, I think um, we'll, with, with the sailing, we're quite happy to, we're, we're quite lucky to, to be sort of in a satellite hub. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be, we had, I guess, had a bit better food and things like that. But, uh, yeah, it was, I think it was pretty bland. Um, yeah, just the same thing day in, day out. So I'd imagine that would get pretty, you get sick of that over after a couple of weeks, that's for sure. Uh, tell us about the, the water in Tokyo and the conditions sailing there, because I'm assuming it's a far cry from what you've experienced at the Royal Perth Yacht Club and the Fremantle Sailing Club in your days here in WA? Yeah, it is a little bit. Um, I guess, yeah, the, the biggest thing is probably the heat. Uh, we just don't experience the humidity like we, what we did in Japan. Uh, so that took a pretty big toll on the body, especially while competing. Uh, but, yeah, it was a typical thing, like every sailing regatta, that uh, 
the week or 10 days leading up was completely different to day one. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice place to sail, though. We're, we're quite fortunate that um, Sydney Harbour and being offshore there is, is quite similar to Japan, so we're quite confident with the conditions. But, yeah, sort of nice big rolling waves and a uh, good range of wind as well from, from light to, to nice and windy. So uh, it, was, it was a good venue. And then once you had the gold medal around your neck, did you sort of allow yourself to have a, a couple of quiet Asahis? Uh, maybe not to the same level of the, the Rugby Sevens boys? No, yeah, definitely. I was pretty tame, especially because I was the, the first sailing uh, class to finish and we still had the 470 boys uh, like half their regatta to go. So um, did did sit down and have a have a quiet one with a couple of the mates within the team. Um, yeah, just to just to celebrate the moment, but obviously yeah, no, nothing too crazy. Just to to make sure that the other boys were were still in the right zone for for their competition. You can tell Ben's heads at eating and drinking uh, in, in Tokyo. <laughs> that's fair enough. That's where he rolls. Um, what's ahead for you now, Matt? In terms of uh, obviously getting back to Australia at some point, doing the quarantining. But competition-wise, is it uh, time for R and R until the end of the year, so to speak? Or when do you next jump in a boat competitively? Yeah, that's, that's exactly. It was sort of. I'll take the rest of the year off for sure from from laser sailing. That is, um, yeah. I've, I'm hoping there'll be some some opportunities over here in uh, in Europe to do a bit more professional sailing and start to build that side of my career. But uh, yeah, m- mostly just sort of relax, spend some time with Emma, and um, yeah, make up for the last eighteen months that we missed, and yeah, just sort of reflect on the last eight years of campaigning and sort of freshen up for for the next three. Well, I was going to say, normally it's four years between Olympics. It's only three years this time around. It's not too early to talk about Paris? No, definitely not. Um, yeah, it's, it's a strange one. I think, yeah, after after Rio, it was like, oh, we've got four years. You sort of slowly work into it. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's going to go really quick, especially with obviously missing the remainder of this year uh, from, from doing any sort of campaigning that, yeah, there'll basically be only 12 months until we have to re-qualify for, for Paris. So it's going to be pretty pretty quick and, yeah, crazy three years, but uh, it's probably a good thing for me, to be honest. <laughs> well, you're a young man, and I know that there was a 66-year-old equestrian rider for Australia at <laughs> Tokyo, so you could be Brisbane, uh, you could be 2046 still flying around the, the uh, courses around the world. Matty, uh, it's been an outstanding achievement, and uh, we do wish you all the best over there in Belgium and uh, savouring that uh, wonderful success in Tokyo. Yeah, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Tokyo's top moments. Now, it was a big couple of final days to end the Olympics. Uh, let's recap some of the highlights. The marathon is always one of those absolute blue ribbon events at the Olympics, and this year was no different. Kenya took out the gold in both the men's and women's races. Outstanding, and uh, haven't they got a great record um, in marathon running? And, gee, I'll tell you what, there was some, uh, some very hot and tired bodies there, oppressive conditions. They didn't relent, did they? The humidity, I think, is the thing that just about knocked these athletes over over the um, over the concluding stages of some of these races. But outstanding to see uh, Kipchoge win in the men's. He's just a, a superstar of the sport. And uh, in the women's, of course, uh, Perez Jepshishira in the women's. Uh, brilliant effort by her. And uh, yeah, the Kenyans. 
one thing you can't do is challenge them in long distance yeah, running. Right. Exactly. Uh, and then there was one French marathon runner who thought that, you know, the only, <laughs> if you can't beat them, stop them from getting a drink. Uh, and if there was an award, a gold medal giving out to the, the biggest a-hole in Tokyo, I reckon it could be this French bloke who will go down as just a total plonker after heading in for a table of uh, water, glasses of water, cups of water that they've got there for the marathon runners, has gone in, swept the table with his arm, left one for himself, and he's copped it. He has, and the vision doesn't look good for him. <laughs> uh, albeit there was another water station about 20 metres up uh, up the, uh, the road, but when it comes down to sportsmanship, we've seen great acts of uh, camaraderie and bonding over there in Japan, but this one has a few raised eyebrows. So, look, we're not con- totally sure that he did it intentionally, but the evidence suggests otherwise. Doesn't look good. And as you mentioned uh, at the top of the show, uh, the Boomers taking out bronze was a historic moment for Australian basketball. Uh, the US team, not they're not really the dream team, uh, but they managed to beat France for the gold, as I guess most people expected, but it was pretty close. Yeah, it was. The French pushed them, and uh, look, the American team, uh, it's a far cry from the 1992 group where you had, oh, I guess a team full of legends, this side missing some of the, the big names in American basketball, but they still got, got the done. gold medal, yep, we, got it done. can't do much more than that um, what about in the high jump, Australia's uh, Nicola McDermott, taking out silver that yep. was extraordinary. And cleared two metres. It, just a, a PB, absolute amazing jump. What a fantastic performance. Anytime an Australian wins a medal in track and field, it's special. Or as Dave Colbert says, field and track, because he loves the field <laughs> as opposed to the track. That's just a, a play, of, uh, play on words by him. And great news. Uh, we spoke to uh, an artistic swimmer earlier in the podcast, and her, her dream for the Olympics was just not to finish last. And guess what? They didn't. Absolutely. And it was uh, a lovely touch just to go over there and compete. Um, looking at the table, they came ninth out of nine spots in the final. So uh, Greece didn't start. So, yeah, effectively. They didn't. So there was one disqualified. So <laughs> they did better than Greece. <laughs> exactly. uh, and then in golf, this is a, this is unfo- an unfortunate thing. Hannah Green uh, finished fifth, which is an incredible result. You don't get a medal for it, though. You don't. Look, she uh, finished off that tournament really well, or the, the Olympic uh, tournament really well, because she was uh, a long way back in the pack at, at one point, but she ends up finishing fifth. The modern pentathlon, uh, of course, that's got fencing, equestrian, swimming, shooting. We went through that the other day. GB. Took out gold. Uh, well done to them. And they ended up with more gold medals than us and more medals uh, for the Olympic Games, which, I mean, they should do given the population size, but they finished off pretty well in track and field as well. Yeah, and that's basically it for the Tokyo Olympic Games. But as it was put so perfectly by wheelchair tennis player Dylan Alcott on Twitter, the warm-up is officially over. Time <laughs> for the big show in two weeks. WA's elite athletes on the podium. Well, in two weeks' time, we are set to see just how powerful the human body can be and how much it can overcome. The countdown is on for the Paralympics, and we're lucky to be joined by one of Australia's best wheelchair racers who's fourth in the world in the 100-metre wheelchair sprint. And on top of that, she's an advocate to bring disability issues into the spotlight and to challenge negative perceptions. Para-athlete Robin Bird, thanks for joining us on Let's Go Tokyo. Oh, Lambert. (laughs) Hang on a second. (laughs) We've got a, a typo in the uh, run sheet here. Okay. That was Kate, by the way. I'm not taking any responsibility. <laughs> oh, oh. So, is, how is that? Is, is there a gold medal for throwing people under the bus? <laughs> uh, okay, ready? Para-athlete Robin Lambert, thanks for joining us on Let's Go Tokyo. Thanks for having me. And so tell us how you were feeling. You, you qualified for the Games. When was it? It was only a, a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah, so the official um, team announcement was a couple of weeks ago. I, I made the qualifiers last year, but yeah, I've been waiting for quite a while to hear that official announcement. So, 
Robin, what about going across to, to Tokyo and, and having seen what's just happened over the previous two weeks, does it give you a sense of comfort that this can be achieved and uh, all those great thoughts of uh, high achievements and personal bests can still be um, possible despite the weird circumstances? Yeah, I think so. It seems like they've done a really great job over there and had a great result in terms of sort of keeping teams safe and also producing some really good results. So, yeah, just super pumped to get over there, to be honest. Yeah, and you've you've had your vaccination, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, um, uh, the whole Paralympic team will be double vaxxed um, unless they obviously have some, you know, significant medical reasons as to why they can't. Yeah, right. When you say double vaxxed, what do you mean? Oh, so we've had both of our vaccines. Oh, you had both. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got it four times. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, now, Robin, take us back to how you got into wheelchair racing in the first place. Um, I started playing wheelchair basketball. I had a, a pretty major operation when I was around 12 and uh, lost a lot of my fitness and, and stuff like that. So through that, I just sort of got into, got into wheelchair basketball. And then the non-for-profit that organises and runs a lot of the uh, wheelchair sports here in Perth, uh, Rebound WA, had a common try day for athletics. Um, and I went along mainly just to support Rebound, to be honest. But um, I jumped to the chair and, and my coach, Blanche Herbert, who's still my coach today, obviously saw a little bit of potential and sort of convinced me to uh, switch from basketball to athletics and, yeah, haven't really looked back since. Mm. And you're pretty quick across the 100 metres. Uh, how are you feeling going into the Paralympics and how, how do you rank the opportunity to go to the Games in terms of, you know, your sporting achievements? Oh, I mean, it's like it's like the Olympics, you know. It's really the, the pinnacle of, of sport. It's the, the highest level that you can sort of get to. Um, I obviously went to World Champs in 2019 and I just feel like, you know, this is the next step and currently being ranked, you know, fourth in the world, I think, um, you know, it'd be a great opportunity to sort of see what I can do over there. Talk us through your training and what that entails. And also, I believe your coach was really instrumental in helping your progress in the sport. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I said, Blanche has been there from, from day one uh, when I first went to the Common Try Day and sort of has put in a huge amount of work to help me develop, you know, the technical skills that I need to perform really well. Uh, we've done a lot of, like, personal development, travelling over east to connect with, like, national coaches and, and things like that. Um, yeah, so, she's yeah, she's been a huge part of my journey. Yeah, right. And uh, can you give us an idea of uh, what you've been watching uh, at the Olympic Games over the last couple of weeks? What moments have you, you know, pencilled down as your favourites? Oh, there's been some huge, uh, like, moments. I think, yeah, my whole family's been sort of sat around screaming at the TV and <laughs> getting really emotional about it. But uh, I think I think it was the the woman from the Philippines who won the first medal in, in weightlifting. Yep. That was, that was pretty incredible. And then, um, you know, uh, Australia beating Spain in the soccer as well. It was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Been, yeah, heaps of moments. And definitely watching Peter Ball run the 800 metres the other day and sort of, that agonising run to fourth place was awesome. It was terrific, wasn't it? Uh, now, yeah. Robin, when it comes to the Paralympics, I think if you go back maybe a decade or two, it was very much in the background and, and didn't have the same profile, wasn't given the same coverage as it does now. Have you noticed the the improvement in these athletes that have done such a great job and uh, perform extraordinarily well for their countries? They're getting that acknowledgement now that possibly wasn't there a couple of decades ago. Yeah, definitely. I think I read a statistic the other day where it was like London 2012 was the first time that they actually sold the tickets to the Paralympics. Like prior to that, they'd given most of them away to like school groups and things. 
Um, so obviously since then the movement's just really grown and now we are seeing like athletes really getting celebrated for what they're achieving and things like sponsorship. Um, it's just, yeah, it's improving all over the place. So. Mm. And so do you look like, do you look at a Paralympian like uh, Louise Savage, who has did so much to, I guess, raise the profile of uh, Paralympic sports in this country, nine-time gold medalist at the Games, do you look at someone like her as, uh, as an inspiration to yourself? Definitely, definitely. I work quite closely with Louise. She's, she's still one of the national coaches for, for wheelchair racing. Um, uh, yeah, she's a huge inspiration. She really sort of brought... Specifically, uh, specifically the track side of things like into the spotlight and you know you walk around Perth and it, you know if anyone knows you go into the Paralympics they ask you if you, if you know Louise so uh, yeah she's huge. <laughs> We're speaking with Paralympian Robin Landbird who's heading off to Tokyo for the Paralympics on Let's Go Tokyo an exciting time for her um, heading into the Olympics lots of us so excited to see uh, Ariane Titmus perform Simone Biles in gymnastics um, it might be any range of high profile athletes what about yourself when it comes to the Paralympics and, and those from other countries that we don't know a lot about, but you know they're going to be superstars over there in Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, like I said, the, the profile is getting raised for athletes, but there's still a lot of us out there that are just sort of doing the hard work and, and waiting for people to sort of jump on board with the Paralympic movement. Um, I'm super excited to see the Australian rugby team um, playing over there. You know, they're back-to-back Paralympic and world champ medalists now so um, you know just yeah can't wait to see them destroy and also you know our basketballers are really mm. top quality so yeah. Bumped into Brad Ness a couple of days ago and he's a terrific fella and uh, just if you haven't been or seen Ben at close quarters the basketballers wheelchair they are just <laughs> lunatics I say that with all due respect yep. <laughs> they just throw their bodies and their wheelchairs uh, with gay abandon at each other and um, yeah that that's one sport I think you just have to be completely committed to um, so yeah it's, a, it's extraordinary on that front um, in your specific sport uh, Robin who are the powerhouses who are the, the competitors that if you know are going to be really tough to get across the line and beat um, in my classification, so sort of in, yeah, for my disability, the Brits are unstoppable at the moment. They're, um, you know, they've got the, the world record and uh, silver medalists from uh, the last Paralympics. So, they're, yeah, they're definitely uh, going to be the ones to watch. But, I mean, that third place position can really go to anyone at the moment in my classification. All the girls are pushing really well and, and really hard. So it's going to be a super exciting race, I think. Mm. And just tell us before we let you go, the Paralympics is a time when we see the real power of the human spirit, uh, human ability uh, to overcome any challenge. Can you give us an idea if that's a source of pride for you to be able to, I guess, inspire the world through your own performances? Definitely. I think, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a debate around, you know, whether we should see sort of Paralympians as being more inspirational just because they're disabled. But I think... Uh, in general, there's a lot more barriers for people with disabilities just getting involved in sport in the first place. It's not something that's still, you know, encouraged widely, whether that's, you know, through your school clubs or uh, just in general. So I think, you know, for these people to, you know, not only have a disability, but to really work so hard to get to the pinnacle of sport, it's, um, it's inspiring stuff, I think. Mm, Paralympian Robin Lambert, we can't wait to watch you in Tokyo. Uh, thanks for joining us on Let's Go Tokyo. The whole of Australia will be right behind you. Cheers. <laughs>
That's it from us. Thank you for joining us on this highlight journey of the Olympic Games. It has been a lot of fun, Ben, and I have to say we have enjoyed doing it for the full two weeks. There's been some great moments. We have to uh, have a shout-out for our producer, Kate Ryan, who has been the rose between two thorns, but importantly, she has got Olympic fatigue, but she has been across so many sports that we haven't been and uh, covering our backsides from time to time. But uh, to Kate, great job, well done, and let's go Tokyo. Wouldn't have been possible without the work that she has done over the past fortnight. Absolutely. She's been the wind beneath our wings. <laughs> uh, catch up with Skeet and I and Kate in the background again in two weeks when we bring you the highlights of the Paralympics. You've been listening to Let's Go Tokyo by The West Live with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings.